0: This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services.
1: Now here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today's topic is retirement rules of thumb. Today I have with me Julie Chadwick. Welcome, Julie. Thanks, Mary. Thanks for having me. Julie has been a financial planner for over a decade and recently joined the Stirk Financial Team, so we're very excited to have her with us. And um, Julie has a lot of specialty and background in retirement planning, so we thought it would be fun to do a um, show about the rules of thumb that you might hear out there about retirement or some of the financial rules of thumb that that sometimes people say to us or that we've all heard a million times. Exactly, exactly. All right, so let's start out with one of the very first ones that you all probably heard your parents say to you when you're growing up.
0: Save 10% of your income.
1: There you go, 10%. I don't know where that magic number came from. (laughs) It doesn't actually correlate with anything that's real. (laughs) In the financial planning world. And it might not always work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, saving 10% of your income, first of all, it's an awesome habit to do, especially if you start out doing it when you're young. And I certainly don't see everybody saving 10% of their income. So it's a great goal to strive for if you're not there yet. But it is not the end all and be all number of Retirement planning just to be saving 10% of your income.
0: So maybe if you were in your 20s and you saved 10% of your income, mm-hmm. you would be set. But how many 20 year olds do we know that are going to be that disciplined? <laughs>
1: Or I if you, I like, have a couple
0: 20-year-olds and I'm 100% sure that's not happening. I'm putting away the 10% for them right now. Yes,
1: exactly. That's where like I'm loaning them 10 yeah. extra percent is more like it. charge interest
0: it. to get it back. But what if what if you're 40 in your 40s or 50s, you know, 10% might not be enough if you're just starting at that point in your life. And we see that too.
1: Right. So the truth of how much you need to save comes down to how long you have to save that money. What income level you want to live at when you are going to utilize that money in retirement and then kind of also how much risk you're willing to take with that money because that's going to end up dictating what range of returns that you might be able to get.
0: Right. If you're the type of person who wants to say, I'm going to save 10%, but I'm going to put it between the mattresses, Mm -hmm. it's probably not going to work for you.
1: Right. Exactly. So, you know, I guess that saving 10% is kind of the same thing as just telling somebody to save a lot. (laughs) A lot is going to be different for everybody. It's
0: all relative.
1: (laughs) Somebody asked me one time, what does being wealthy mean? And I said... I'm pretty sure being wealthy means to everybody more than I have right now. (laughs) (laughs) So it doesn't matter who you are and how much you do have. Usually people think wealthy is somewhere above them.
0: (laughs) Above what you currently have now. (laughs)
1: Yes, exactly. All right. So that's rule or retirement rule of thumb number one. That um, is kind of a funny thing out there, but we've all heard it. And it really doesn't have any practical application other than the fact that If you're really young, it's a great idea to think about starting there. All right. The next one is about how much you can distribute. So there was a rule of thumb that said you probably could pull out about 5% out of your retirement accounts and maybe not run out of money. Okay. Now, I think this one's a tricky thing because that rule of thumb During my career, and I've been doing this for 24 years now, that rule of thumb in the financial industry has changed numbers multiple times. Significantly. (laughs) Yes. So I know back like in 1999 timeframe, if you were pulling out 6% a year, you were thinking you could probably never run out of money.
0: And if me as an advisor were saying, no, you need to maybe go back to maybe 4 or 5%, they probably said, see you later.
1: Yeah, <laughs> goodbye. We're firing you as an advisor. We're, We're going to find someone else. to someone else that tells me I can do 6 <laughs> Yeah. And then after some of the turbulence in around 2001, we saw people start to get on board with the idea of maybe you need to start pulling that back to 5% a year. And then after we had 2008, you know, massive market downturn, Economy in you know uh, ruins for a long time. Really, what we learned with that is things can happen in the market that are unexpected. And if you look at all the probabilities, the truth is that a four percent amount coming out per year is probably closer to a justifiable amount if you're going to use a rule of thumb.
0: Right. There's been studies done where it's you know based on the four percent rule. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at four um, percent. The study did historical rates on returns for stocks and bonds, and it said, you know, 4%, if you were taking 4%, that would probably allow you to have money for about 30 years Yeah. in retirement.
1: Yeah, and so, okay, 30 years is great, but what happens if you retire early? Now you've kind of blown up that potential 30 years. 30 years is great, but what if we start living longer? Which we are. Yes, we are. So in the next 30 years, if they have medical advances happen that allow us to live a good quality life for an extra 15, 20, 30 years, now all of a sudden this is a totally different ballgame about how long your money's going to last, right? So a rule of thumb for how much you can withdraw gets a little bit tricky because there's so many variables. But if you're going to use the rule of thumb – Then err towards 4% or less. (laughs) Err towards the conservative side. (laughs) Right. So quick and dirty planning on this. Let's just say you had a million dollars and you were going to take out 4%. That's $40,000 a year that you could pull from that retirement pool. Now, maybe you have some Social Security and maybe that's 20000 so now your income is $60,000 a year. Maybe you have some pension, which is another twenty. so maybe you're $80,000 a year. But you can kind of see how those incomes stack on top of what you can pull out from your retirement accounts. But if you have a million dollars and you think that you can pull out all $80,000 a year, I think you need to rethink that strategy because the probability suggests you're going to run out of money.
0: Right. There were certain surveys done where they took a thousand pre retirees and they were asked how much you they thought they could retire on. The majority said seven and nine percent was okay. <laughs> Another said 19% was okay.
1: Well, that's a lunatic. That's a lunatic.
0: <laughs> and some said 10 to 15% was okay. Wow. So really, with those numbers, their money would be gone in probably 10 years or less.
1: Yeah. That's kind of scary to think about. So if you're looking at your own reasoning behind what you're doing, that's something you're going to want to consider. Now, here's the most common I th- thing I think I hear from people when we talk about 4%. They're saying, well, wait a minute. I mean, shouldn't I be making at least 4% if I'm only taking out 4%, why am I not always just living on the earnings, right? Well, what they're failing to take into consideration is certain years the markets are down, so you're taking out principal. The other thing that they're failing to take into consideration is inflation. So if you wanna live on $80,000 today, and then in 15 years, that number has almost doubled to keep up your standard of living. So inflation and, you know, volatile markets are really the two things that make it not so easy to just plan to live on your earnings.
0: Right. So you can't just say 4% set it and forget it.
1: Yes, Exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. All right. Another rule of thumb that's out there is called the rule of 72. And this is one of my favorite rules because it's all about money doubling.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We like it when that happens. We
1: definitely like it when that happens. So here's how the rule of 72 works. If you take the number 72 and you divide it by the interest rate that you're earned on something, then that answer then is the number of years it will take money to double. Okay, so if you take 72 and divided it by say 10%, then it would take 7.2 years for your money to double. Now, 10% is more of an aggressive number. Many people might have made that this last year because the markets have been strong, but on a normal average basis, that might be pretty accelerated or aggressive growth expectations. So if you take it by, let's say, a different number, or maybe you're in retirement and you're a little more conservative, let's just say you divide that by five, now it's taking 14 and a half years, roughly, for your money to double. Now imagine how long it takes to double if you've decided to invest it in a 1% CD. <laughs>
0: Sitting <laughs> at the bank, there right. There
1: you go. It might double by the time your great grandchild who just was born turns 72.
0: <laughs> so if you're legacy planning, it's going to be there for him. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So that rule of 72 is a fun rule to talk about because it really does give people an easy way to understand how long they have to leave money invested at different interest rates in order to see that money start to double. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, And today we're talking about Retirement rules of thumb. What are some of the quick and dirty things that people think about money? And some of them might be a little bit accurate and some of them are very far from accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about the myth surrounding the idea of saving 10% of your income for retirement. We've talked about the fallacy behind um, or maybe I should say misunderstanding behind how much you can pull out of a retirement portfolio and expect it to last your whole life. Right. And with that, we also touched on the issue of how long you think your retirement might be,
0: because we're all living longer. <laughs> we are
1: definitely. And then lastly, we talked about the the one rule of thumb that actually is just mathematically based. So mm-hmm. this one's super accurate, which is the rule of seventy-two, all about money doubling. So now we're going to talk about um, some life insurance rules of thumb, and. One of the rules of thumb that happens in the life insurance world is that you need seven times your salary in life insurance. And there's another one out there that says you need ten times your salary in life insurance. I'm pretty sure the insurance industry probably created would that Would say one. the ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Somehow they might have had a hand in that, I think. <laughs> but
0: everyone's situation is different.
1: It is, yeah. And the thing that I, I would say about that rule of thumb is Not only is your situation different, but your needs are going to shift and change over the course of your life.
0: Right. A lot of times when we're visiting with clients, they would say, okay, well, I have a life insurance policy. Well, what was, you know, we asked, what was their need for getting it? Well, it might have been, you know, debt protection or something Mm -hmm. like that, or it might have been legacy money, but their thing, their plans might've changed. And so that's a good time to review and, and look it up and make sure it's doing, serving its purpose.
1: Yes. Now, some of you listeners might've heard me say this before, but there's really three separate and distinct phases of what you need for life insurance. The first phase is when you're younger and it's all about widows and children. And really what you want to be focusing on in terms of creating a number of how much life insurance you need during that time is how much debt do you have and would you want that all to be paid off if something happened to you, especially your house because your family is living in it? How much income is your family going to need to continue to survive in a comfortable way? And then do you want to set aside money for college? Because if you're not going to be here to help save for that or help put them through college... Do you want to make sure you've left something behind for them? So those are the primary things that go into life insurance planning in that phase one. The second phase though is when you're in your middle-aged years and your kids are grown and gone and now you're looking forward to retirement with your spouse and saying, well, we don't quite have enough retirement money saved yet but if something happens to me, I want to make sure that this person that I love, that I'm married to, is taken care of through their retirement if something does happen to me
0: right they usually want to make sure that the living spouse is going to be able to continue the lifestyle that they've uh, accustomed to
1: right exactly now it's not necessarily exactly what you need when you're both alive because you know you only need one car versus maintaining two or one person needs health insurance versus both of you needing health insurance. But ne- nevertheless, there is a number and a calculation that can get done to figure out exactly how much life insurance you need. And I'm a big believer in not carrying any more insurance than you actually need right. you know, for your personal goals. Now, that third phase is once you're in retirement, and if you're pretty confident you've got retirement in the bag,
0: Congrats. everybody's all taken care of,
1: <laughs> then it becomes life insurance becomes about what kind of financial legacy do you want to leave for somebody that you love, not the person you're married to, but like children or grandchildren, and or charities that resonate with you. So it's more about an, a legacy planning type of thing. So nowhere in here. Does any of that actually trigger off a multiple of your salary? (laughs) (laughs) At all. (laughs) Your salary is definitely going to play into the part of what's a comfortable lifestyle that people are accustomed to. But the multiple of your salary piece of it, that is not something that aligns with what your actual needs are at the time in your life that you need coverage.
0: So there's a lot of different factors that you have to look at versus just the seven or possibly ten times the salary. Yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> it's what
0: your what your intentions are. Pretty
1: soon we're going to hear it's fifteen times your salary. <laughs> <laughs> Call more, us more, to get more. Quotes. <laughs> all right. The last retirement rule of thumb is this: is that you've all heard the idea that women live longer than men, and this rule of thumb technically is actually true. But what some people don't realize is that statistically, couples live longer than people who are not in a couple. There's something about the relationship factor that helps keep people healthier. um, And there's a lot of science behind that. But not only do women live longer, but couples live longer. Right. So that's, I think, a very interesting thing that you have to consider when you're doing retirement planning and forecasting.
0: Exactly. A lot of times um, I've always heard people come in and say, well, you know, who's going to live longer? (laughs) And the wife usually is the one who steps up. Well, I'm sure I'm going to.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: And then I've heard the husband chime in and say, well, you know, men die first because they want to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I never hear anybody say, I want to live for as many years as possible in a nursing home.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's usually the fear is getting into the nursing home and how long you're going to be there. So, you know, right. it's an estimated that 58% of men and 79% of women age 65 and older are going to need long-term care at some point in their life.
1: Wow. That is an amazing statistic, Julie. An amazing
0: number. And how about the average length of care is about 2.2 years for men. And it's 3.37 for women.
1: And one of the things that's interesting about that statistic is that, like, that's a whole statistic. And it's not necessarily taking into consideration that some usages for nursing home care are purely physical and some are cognitive. Right. The physical ones tend to be much less than that average And the cognitive ones can often be quite a bit longer. In fact, I've read something that said the average cognitive stay can be between five to seven years.
0: Right. Because physically, you're strong. Your body is strong. Uh It's just the mind, isn't there?
1: Yes, exactly. And and most of us, unfortunately, have some experience with that or have loved someone that's gone through some of that. And it's tough to deal with. But I think that this issue of women living longer than men and or couples living longer is something that's just going to continue to be more and more of an issue. I think we're going to live longer and we're going to need more health care services for a longer period of time.
0: Exactly. And that ties right back into how much money you're going to need in retirement and how long you're going to be in retirement. So that whole 30 year in retirement might Mm -hmm. be extended.
1: Now, when we're doing a financial plan for somebody... One of the unfortunate parts of the planning is I do have to pick an age that I'm going to kill you in my planning. (laughs) (laughs) And it used to be that financial planners would be killing off their clients when they were about age 90, because that was still longer than what mortality tables were saying that people would live to. But I would say probably eight to 10 years ago, we moved that up to 95 Mm -hmm. as our rule of thumb, because even though that's well above the mortality tables the truth is with the medical advances and with what we're seeing especially if there's longevity in people's families people are living longer
0: we want to make sure that that plan is encompassing that so um a statistic i heard was think of your oldest living relative Mm -hmm. whoever your oldest living relative is and add 10 years to that and that will probably be what you Go to.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I don't think I've ever heard that one before. Yeah. See, Julie's <laughs> full of information. I love it. <laughs> so, I, I think that that's something that you have to plan for. So, if you are a healthy female who is married, you may even want to be looking at your, your planning to age 100 or more. And they say that babies born today have a chance of living to, you know, well over 100, even up to 120.
0: Right. So
1: that's crazy when you think about that. For sure they're going to have to revamp the Social Security program before that happens. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) That 10% rule, I don't know. I'm 100%
1: (laughs) sure they can't afford to pay out Social Security benefits until somebody's 120 years old.
0: (laughs) You're going to have to be putting away for that for a long time. There
1: you go. And I think that means that retirement ages in the future will substantially shift to a higher age. But we're going to have to be healthier for a longer period of time to feel comfortable and physically able to work longer than normal retirement ages are now.
0: So how do you know, Mary, if you've saved enough?
1: (laughs) You only know if you saved enough if your savings are going to be able to carry you through whatever length of retirement you need. Or however long you think it's going to be, at the level that you want to spend.
0: Great advice. So that really just tells me that you need to come in and talk, <laughs> so you can sit down and figure everything out.
1: That's right. It's an individual planning answer for that one. Awesome. So thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. We hope you find some good value in knowing the retirement rules of thumbs, and also as debunking a little them a little bit in terms of what's real and what's not. And uh, we'll catch you next week on Money Guide with Mary Stirk.